you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John. Um, there's going to be some moments throughout this series um, where we're going to take a pause from going verse by verse, and we're going to cover a doctrinal truth that may cover the whole of the book of the Bible, or just a topical truth that will help give context um, as we begin to further study our book of John. And so if you came in and did not grab a fill-in-the-blank, um, I have a handout. They're in the back, the, the, and I have a PowerPoint. Uh, David Jett has inspired me, and we're going to allow that inspiration to continue. Uh, I promise, one of the things I told Pastor David, um, honestly, just being with him, you're reminded in a lot of ways. And one of the things that I was just reminded of um, after not being around him for many years, was how practical and how good he applies his sermons. And I was really just challenged this week because I have a tendency, every preacher has a tendency in one of two directions, either towards just really good, clear application and not a lot of teaching of the text, or you're more like me, where I tend to lean on teaching of the text and not a great job fleshing out the application. We have a natural tendency in one direction or the other. And Pastor David marries those two really well. And I was just challenged and convicted how, a, how I was able to follow along with him, especially on the application side of things, by just the simple resources of a fill-in-the-blank and a PowerPoint and really working some of those ideas out. And so I was just challenged and convicted. I'm telling you this because that's going to actually hold me accountable to continue to do it in the future um, because now I'm going to know that y'all, what y'all are going to think of me if I don't. And so we're going to continue because I do hope and it will be helpful to follow along. So, hey, if you got the handout, fill-in-the-blank, the truth, the main point of today's text, the target statement is simply this, moms and parents included, but mom specifically because it is Mother's Day, is leave a kingdom legacy in your children. Leave a kingdom legacy in your children. What does this have to do with the story of John? Well, here's what it has to do is we're going to look at John's mom today, and we're going to look at her life We're going to look at everything Scripture tells us about her, and then we're going to kind of, the main point of the sermon is going to really just unpack what can we learn from her as it applies to us as moms specifically, but I would say parents generally. And even if you're in here to go, I'm not a parent. Well, I think these biblical truths will apply greatly as we just think about what does it mean to leave the next generation and leave a kingdom legacy into our family, uh, whether it even be cousins, nieces, and nephews, whatever your relationship is with your family. But what does it mean to leave a gospel kingdom legacy in the next generations? But I will be speaking specifically from a mom's perspective as we look at uh, John's mom, but also it would apply in those other ways that I just said. So whether you're a mom or not, this I believe this sermon will apply to you. But as we look at John's mom, his mom's name was Salome. Um, who was Salome and what do we know about her? Salome is spelled S-A-L-O-M-E. S-A-L-O-M-E, if you want to write that down. But it's, in Greek, it's pronounced Salome. In English, it, you wouldn't necessarily pronounce it that way, but it is Salome. What do, what do we know about her? A few things by introduction. What do we know about her? We know that she was the mother of James and John. James and John were disciples of Jesus. Um, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-six says this, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, not the James that's John's brother, but James that is Jesus' brother. 
All right, so quickly, you got two James that you're going to hear a lot about in Scripture. James, the brother of John, which was Salome's son, and then James, the mother or the son of Mary, who was Jesus' brother. This is the James, Jesus' brother. Uh, the James referenced here is the one who wrote the, the letter James. Um, but so you got among whom were Mary Magdalene. This is um, at the end of Jesus' life. You got among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. It does not mention Salome's name, but it mentions his three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, and then the mother, who is the sons of Zebedee. We get her name from Mark chapter 15, the parallel passage to Matthew 27. Mark 15, 40 says this, there were also women looking on from a distance. This is at the crucifixion. There were women looking on from a distance, of whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and the younger of Joseph, who is Joseph, and Salome. So Matthew doesn't tell us her name, but says it's the mother of James and John. And then Mark doesn't say James and John, but it actually just gives us her name, which is Salome. So we know from those two passages that Salome was the name of um, the mother of James and John. And so who was Salome? She was the mother of James and John. Second thing we know about her is that she was at the crucifixion. I just read the text of Mark 15, 40. Hey, can you, can you bring me down just a tad? I'm ringing. I don't know if you can hear that ringing, but I can hear that ringing. Um, and so anyways, Mark 15, 40 tells us that she was at the crucifixion. Thank you, Lucas. That's very helpful. It says, once again, there was also women looking on from a distance, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and the younger Joseph, and Salome. So we know she was the mother of James and John. We know that this woman, Salome, was at the crucifixion. We also know that she was the first, a part of those women that was at the empty tomb. Look at Mark 16, 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they may go and anoint him. So when we begin to think about Salome, not only was she the mother of two of the disciples, but she herself was a follower of Jesus. It's an important thing as we begin to build context of who she was. Second question we want to ask is, what was Salome's legacy? This is all just quickly, by far, part of introduction. What was Salome's legacy? Um, she mothered two sons who were disciples of Jesus. All right, so moms, I don't know what moms do uh, as far as like when you gather with other moms and you're like, my son or my daughter was, you know, straight A's. I don't know. You're, my mom's proud of me, and so she just says things about me. And I know Jenna will say things about kids because we're proud of our kids. And we'll say, like, for example, when Pastor David was here, he, he was throwing football with Sam. He's like, Sam's got good hand-eye coordination. I was like, yeah, his first year playing baseball, he's uh, three for four, batting, you know, batting, you know, batting three for four, only one strikeout and a walk. Why did I tell him that? I, I don't, it just, it just came out. Why? Because I, I'm proud of my kids. So imagine you, you're, you're the mom of two of the 12 disciples. You're like, yeah, like, what you got to talk about, right? So she, so what do we know about her legacy? She, she mothered two sons who were disciples of Jesus. Um, let's talk about those two sons. James, her son, was the first disciple who was martyred. Acts chapter 12 tells us this in verses 1 and 2. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. She left a legacy within a son who was faithful to Christ even to the point of death. 
We know about her second son. We don't know if she had a third or fourth son or any other children. All we know is about these two. But we know about John. John was what? He was a leading apostle in the early church. He wrote the book that we're studying, which is why we're talking about his mom, because it's giving context to who he was as an author and as a pastor. He wrote the book of John. He wrote the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote Revelation. And he was the last disciple to be alive. So I want you to think about that, is that she's got sons who faithfully followed Christ to be the first to die and the last to die. We understand that John was the only one who was not martyred. Um, Church history would tell us that he was attempted to be martyred, so legacy goes, but did not die in various ways, that God always protected him. But when we begin to ask the question, which is going to be what the sermon's about, is what can we learn from her as a mom? What else does Scripture teach us about her that we can learn from her as we can apply that to us, as you as mothers and parents and others as we try to leave a legacy? Let's just take a moment and go, hey, I don't know about you, but I hope I leave a legacy similar to the legacy she left within her children. When we think about the main point of today's sermon, leave a kingdom legacy in your children, I'd imagine Salome did that. She left a kingdom legacy within her children. So four truths that we can learn from her. There might be other things, but here's what scripture can tell us that we can kind of take as we look at the different text that we can learn from her that will order to help us to be faithful to the main point of leaving a kingdom legacy within children. Truth number one, be tender amidst thunder. Be tender amidst thunder. Like, what, do you, what does that mean? Let's look at the text. Mark chapter three, verse 17. James is the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanarges, that is, sons of thunder, right? They had a nickname of sons of thunder, right? So she mothered names, of, or she mothered children who Jesus called sons of thunder. To give a little more context, look at Luke nine fifty one and following. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Okay, let's just think about that for a second. These are guys who, um, there's a good illustration. Um, uh, David Jett, when he, we, he will talk about this a lot of times, I'll give an illustration, and then I'll s- explain how it applies to James and John. J- David Jett would use an illustration uh, with me. Um, a lot of times when I was earlier in ministry, I, w- I was a passionate guy. I'm still a passionate guy, but I was a passionate guy who was immature, And I was a passionate guy who was arrogant. I was a passionate guy who was prideful. I was a guy who was passionate about the Lord, had just enough training to think I knew what I was doing, but to be dangerous, honestly. And he used to say that to me. He said, Jonathan, you're often, you're kind of like a kid with like a bazooka. Like you have a powerful weapon, but you don't have the maturity to know how to use this powerful weapon to beneficial. And, and, and his point was, hey man, I love your passion. I see what God's doing in you, but you got to recognize there's, you, your character has to match some of this competency. Otherwise you can do a lot of harm within your leadership. 
Well, this is what's happening right here with the Sons of Thunder. They recognize that God's worked powerfully in their life, that they've had the ability to do some miracles, and something happens, and these people just rebuke Jesus, and they don't accept Jesus, and they're like, look, if you're not going to accept Jesus, like, it's going to be bad for you. And so they turn to Jesus in their passion and their zealousness, and we're like, let's just, let's just, Jesus, you want us to, you want us to take care of this? Like, you want, we'll take care of this. Like, we'll, fire, burn, Sodom and Gomorrah. Times two, like here it is. This is how they got the nickname Sons of Thunder. Imagine parenting these two boys. All right, imagine this. Some of you are like, oh, oh I'm, parenting these, I'm parenting these boys right now, right? And, and here's what I would say. The text doesn't tell us exactly how she was. But we've got to understand the challenge would be based off Jesus' reaction and how she clearly was a mom, as we'll see throughout the rest of the sermon, who cared for her children, the challenge would be be tender amidst thunder. One of the things that I want to encourage you as moms is when you've got a child like this, and you've got children who are passionate, and whether they're passionate or not passionate, that's not the point. The point at this is, is that I think it's important to encourage and foster the personalities that God's given us, but we must do this in such a way that is tender and shapes um, and just cares for them. Th- this is a call for meekness, as Matthew chapter 5 would call us to be meek and mild. Meekness does not mean weakness. I'm not calling moms to be weak amidst thunder. Tender and merciful Do not, does not mean to be passive or lack discipline for your children, but it means to foster and care and guide your children in such a way to foster the passion that God has this given them. This doesn't speak as much to what you're trying to do in them, but about your posture before them. She was a mom who uh, we will find later on that was continued to foster. So I just say it this way. What, is it, what does it mean but to be tender amidst thunder? She was shepherding and raising boys that Jesus simply called thunder, sons of thunder. So be tender amidst thunder. Second, set an example of walking with Jesus. I think we could make this truth out of a lot of texts and out of a lot of examples. But you, it's surprising about what we can learn from her just from a few texts where Salome is mentioned. Most of the texts I've already read, but I wanna highlight them again. And how can we see that she set an example of walking with Jesus? Look again at Matthew 27, 54 through 56. She is at the crucifixion of Jesus when all the other disciples had abandoned She was there, all except for one. We'll talk about that in a second. But she was there when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, whom we know to be Salome. Now, that's important, but now I want you to look at John chapter 19, verse 25 and 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, some would, this is just a side note, because of it's exactly where does Mary, the mother of Mary, the wife of Clopas, different translations do that differently. But some could say that 
his mother's sister was actually Salome. So it, it's not a definitive, but it's possible that Salome and Mary were sisters, which would have made Jesus and James and John cousins. That's not definitive, but depending on how you take this text and the antecedent in the Greek, it's possible, but that's just extra information. But the point is, but standing at the cross of Jesus where was his mother, Mary, Jesus' mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved who was John, the gospel writer. So this tells us, the other gospels don't tell us this, but John tells us, hey, I was there. And we know that John was the only disciple who was there at the crucifixion. And who was next to him? Salome. When I say set an example of walking with Jesus, it's no surprise that there were two people, two men that were there at the crucifixion. Jesus... And John and both their mothers were there also. And when we begin to think about coincidence that Salome was there and one of her sons was there, I don't know. I don't think it's a coincidence. I would think that maybe, if, and maybe it's just me, but I have, my mom has the ability, uh, I've just been blessed, I love my mom, but my mom has the ability to encourage me like few other people do to encourage me to walk faithfully with Jesus like few other people do. And so if my mom was, had the courage to be at the crucifixion, I might also have the courage to be at the crucifixion. I don't know. But we see her at the crucifixion, and we see her son there with her. And Jesus says to him, the John, the one whom, the disciple whom Jesus loved, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. We understand that from that moment on, John, the apostle John, went and cared for Jesus' mother in the same way as if it was his own mother. And so we see her set an example for her son. Not only that, but in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, we understand that she was not only at the crucifixion, but she was one of the first women to go and see Jesus. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene married the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they may go and anoint him. And very early, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Remember, they're thinking he's dead, and they were just going to prepare his body. And looking up, they saw that the stone had rolled Back, it was very large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Not only was she a mom who had set an example about being faithful to Jesus at the crucifixion, which encouraged her son, but she then went and was one of the first at the empty tomb to continue to care. We don't have a lot of other texts about her, but we do know that she was not a mom who just, you know, hey, see you later, have fun hanging out with Jesus. But she was a mom who continued also to faithfully follow Jesus and set that example. So moms, one of the best examples you can do is just simply follow Jesus. You want to leave a legacy, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, you want to leave a legacy in the next generation within your family, just follow Jesus. Start there. Have this moment where you say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, and you come follow me as I follow Jesus. Be someone who says, hey, follow me. Try to catch up. I'm running hard after Jesus, instead of someone just on the sidelines pointing, saying he's in that direction. 
You and I want to leave a legacy. We reproduce who we are more than anything else. Biologically, personality, we are way more like our parents than we want to admit, both good and bad. Why? Because we can't help to be products of our culture and our society and our upbringing. And so if, our, if your children's upbringing is of a home that is just constantly pursuing after Jesus, that will get caught within your children. Set an example of walking with Jesus. Thirdly, encourage and support your children as they follow Jesus. Don't just yourself follow. Yes, that's a great, but take a next step and be a cheerleader. Encourage and support your children as they follow Jesus. There's not a lot that's going of text that's going to give us this, but I want you to just bear with me. Two texts that are going to get, support this truth in a practical way. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. All right, so building the argument, we know that there were other women. If you have a picture of Jesus walking around with 12 guys only, that's not the picture we have in the New Testament. Why are the 12 emphasized over the women? Is they're emphasized over the women largely because they are the ones who would go and lead the church in the first century. And so they give a guidance to give history and understanding of these 12 who are given this apostleship and this authority to write scripture and to lead the church. But it's not to say they were the only ones or the only ones who were important. We see from this text that there were other women who were also followers of Jesus and went. And we understand that one of the things they did was they supported through serving and giving of resources. The text actually here is the New Testament text where we get the word deacon. They, they deaconed with Jesus is literally what the text says. That they served and cared for and provided for them out of their means. So we know that they're building the argument. We know there are women who did this. Mark chapter 15 gives a little more understanding to give argument that Salome was amongst those women. Mark 15, verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance. All right, time out. Luke 8 was saying it in the present tense. This was happening in the moment in history. Mark 15, the text we've already read, is talking about these women from the past of what they had done before. But nonetheless, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, the mother of James, and the younger of Joseph, and Salome. Verse 41, when he was in Galilee, they, referring to these women, followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And so we understand from Mark 15 that Salome was referenced as one of the women who followed Jesus. So here's, here's a picture. This is, this is all we got, but here's an idea. We understand James and John are fishing with their father Zebedee. Jesus comes along to them and says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. All right? They go, absolutely. We'll drop everything. We're going to come follow you. We understand that John was the youngest of those disciples and was probably for sure under the age of 20, likely under the age of 18. He's a teenager. So imagine this conversation, mothers. They run off. Zebedee comes home. Remember, these are sons of thunder. These are passionate dudes. These are just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's go. Father goes home and says, hey, hon, um, kids have left. They've moved out. You know, they're off to college, whatever it may be, and they're gone. 
And she goes, hold on a second. My crazy boys, sons of thunder dudes, who will do all kinds of crazy things, they're off to follow who? Now, like I said, chances are there's an argument that could be made that they were actually relatives, families, small text. We don't know this for sure. We can't definitively say it. But there's chances are there was some relationship. If nothing else, even if they weren't family, we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus met them prior to calling them as fishermen. So this was not the first time Jesus met them. So we know there's a relationship. So she wasn't completely shocked. She knew who Jesus was. But she probably heard about this and then said, "Uh uh-uh, they ain't going without me. And had this moment where at some point, we don't know if it was in this moment or some point later, but eventually she follows also. We know this. Mark 15 tells us that she went around with Jesus in Galilee ministering to him. So you got James and John who are following Jesus, who are living out a faithful tradition of being a disciple of a rabbi who is following the Messiah, who is leading and teaching her boys. And she's going, I'm going to be right there to support them the whole way. It's a beautiful picture. It's not just a mom who says, hey, I'm going I'm to go follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. But as they are faithfully pursuing their following of Jesus and training with Jesus, the mom is there to support and encourage and cheerlead the whole way. As mothers specifically and parents generally, we want to support our kids in a number of ways, right? We want to support our kids as they pursue different hobbies. When my kids say, hey, I want to do this and I want to do that, I want to be supportive of them. I want want to try to foster the giftings that God's given them. I want to foster their personalities. I want to foster who God's created them to be. And I recognize that each of my three kids are different. And therefore, I'm going to encourage them in different ways. I'm going to be very specific to know that they are all made unique. And so I want to foster those things. And so when my kids come to me and they want to try this, yeah, let's try that. Within confines, they can't do every sport, but they, they want to do sports, they can do sports. And Ella's like, I don't want to do sports, but I want to learn to cook a cake. And I'm like, I'll test that cake. Let's do it, right? And we'll do whatever we can to try to encourage their hobbies. We want to encourage them in education, right? We want to foster their education and recognize that's an important part of their life. We want to foster their health. We are there to cheerlead them and make sure they eat other things besides candy and they eat their broccoli every once in a while and they do some of these things. Why? Because we want to foster their health. We want to foster them in discipline even. We want to be there to make sure that they're faithful under authority because if they're not faithful under human authority, they will not be faithful to God's authority as they get older. So we're there to foster and encourage those things. But here's the idea is that our number one call as parents is the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6, is to pursue and help our kids more than anything else, is to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is your greatest calling as a parent. And what we can see from a Salome is she was there to encourage, to make sure her kids had what they needed, to make sure other disciples had what they needed so that her kids could focus on their calling of faithfully growing in Jesus and walking with Jesus. Parents, that is our greatest calling. And we see from Salome, she set a great example of this. I want to give an illustration of my mom. And, and I want to just time out for a second. I know... Um, Mother's Day can be a mixed emotion day. I want to speak to that. Understand that this is a celebration for you as moms. For some, it's a sadness of recognizing maybe your mom's no longer here or maybe you don't have great history with your mom and and whatever it is. And so there's mixed emotions. And I, I want to speak to that. But I also want to give testimony to how my mom 
just modeled this truth really well of how she cheerleaded me and encouraged me to walk with Jesus more than she cheerleaded or encouraged anything else. One of the greatest examples I can give of this is I graduated, um, um, well, let's talk about my senior year for a second. I was 18 before I started my senior year. I think that's an important thing to say. And I don't think you as parents should say this to all your children. But for whatever reason, my mom had a conversation with me uh, at the beginning of my senior year um, because I, I, didn't, I wasn't great at an alarm clock. I still had the mom who would just like yell, hey, Jonathan, it's time to get up. And she looked at me and she said, hey, you're, you're, you, you gotta learn to be independent. You're leaving the house probably in a year. And so I'm no longer gonna wake you up for school. And if you don't get up and you don't go to school, you face the consequences of that. Now, she understood that I was playing basketball and I was trying to get a basketball scholarship. And if you don't go to school, you can't go to practice or can't play. So she had a pretty good chance I was gonna go to school. But she said, if you don't go to school, that's your decision. And she gave me the freedom to go, hey, you're 18 years old and you've got to start making decisions for yourself. Point is, she, she fostered independence in a healthy way, I think. And part of that fostering of independence is that she, um, we all need at moments for our parents to be a commander in our life. But there comes a point as parents, you've got to recognize that you, you become a cheerleader, a consultant, and a coach eventually in your parents' life. If you're still trying to command your grown adults, that's probably not going well. But there comes a moment in, our, in parenting where we make that switch. And one of the interesting things from mom, mom is I'd graduated high school, and, and she had made it clear to me, hey, Jonathan, we can't, um, we can't pay for your college, so you're going to have to kind of figure that out. So get a, get a scholarship, do, get good grades, get a scholarship, you're, you're on your own. So I understood that. So that helped me get good grades, that helped me be responsible so I had gotten a, uh, a scholarship to go to the University of Memphis, not high academics, so it wasn't that hard to do, but I, I'd gotten a scholarship to, to cover my academics at the University of Memphis. I had gone overseas for the summer, was going to come back and start my freshman year of college. While overseas, I got an invitation to stay. Hey, why don't you stay for the semester? We'd love for your help in mission work, but that meant I was going to lose my scholarships. And when I came back, I wasn't going to have my scholarships. And so, of course, I'm having a conversation with other people seeking wisdom. And specifically, because this is the point, having a conversation with my mom, is having a conversation with her and just saying, hey, mom, what do you, what do you think I should do? She was like, well, um, you've got scholarships. Um, you could, you know, go to college on those scholarships, get your degree, and then go do the mission field. She knew since middle school, God had called me to preach, and that's what I had always said I wanted to do. So she knew that was my calling, and she had tried to encourage me. But then she made this statement. But she said, Jonathan, more important than your education, more important than your scholarships, I care that you're faithful to Jesus. And so this is your decision. I'm going to give you wise advice. I think you should consider not letting go of your scholarships. But I've, I care more that you are faithful to what Jesus is telling you to do. And if you feel like Jesus is telling you to stay and to not go to school, then I will cheerlead and support you in that. And I did. And I lost my scholarships. But then God was faithful, and there's more to that. I'm here, and I'm fine, and everything's great. But the point is, the point is this. Question, moms, would you have been able to say that? And my challenge to you is I think you should be able to. Parents, that's tough. But in this moment to go, hey, more than anything else, I care that you're faithfully walking with Jesus. I don't care about your, I, I do care about your career, but not important as you walk in with Jesus. I do care about that you're okay, and I do care about that you're cared for, and I do care about that you're a good citizen and all these things. And make your list, but the top of the list should always be, but are you walking faithfully with Jesus? And I'm grateful for a mom who changed 
my life, I think a large part of who I am is because she kept that first and foremost in my life. No matter what my decision was, no matter what was going on, are you being faithful to what the Lord's calling you to do? And be and do that. Lastly, fourth, advocate to Jesus for your children. That's a fancy way of saying pray for your children. Advocate to Jesus for your children. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23. Now, her motivation here um, in the text I'm about to read you was a bit prideful. Jesus would rebuke her, but let's still learn from this. Matthew 20, 20 through 23. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, Salome, came up to him with her sons. She knows that he's towards the end of his life. She knows that he's, something's about to happen, and I believe he's the Messiah, so eventually there's going to be a throne. I know there's a throne in his future. I'm not sure what it looks like, but there's going to be a throne. So she comes and brings her sons, and she kneels before Jesus, and she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in the kingdom of God. It's pretty bold. It's bold. Jesus answered her, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. What was the cup he was referring to? We understand that he prays for that in Gethsemane. We know that's referring to the crucifixion. Faithfulness, taking up your cross and following Jesus. Like being faithful to the Father's will no matter what. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they said, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. Uh, They didn't understand what that meant at the time, but I'm sure later on they did. You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. I'll stop there, but it goes on to say basically, hey, he rebukes this for being a prideful request. It was a prideful request. And he goes to, hey, if you want to be great, because this is what they're asking for, make us great. And if you want to be great, you'll have to be the least of these. Important text. But here's the idea. The mom went and even though it was a bit prideful, she advocated for her children to be as close to Jesus as possible. Now, it meant fame and status for her boys too, which we want that for our kids. We want our kids to be successful. But so it's not necessarily, I'm not saying the motivation's great, but what I am saying is I appreciate the boldness to come and kneel before Jesus and request big things for her sons. As parents, and I end lastly with that truth, is because this is the greatest thing we can do for our kids. As we talked about this week, if you're with us for Fur Revive, so grateful. But one of the things I hope, one of the takeaways is that you'll see is our prayers matter. Our prayers matter. We really believe our prayers matter. And we really believe prayer makes a difference. And so as parents, as moms, fathers, aunts, uncles, as, as people who care about the next legacy of your family, advocate to Jesus for your children. Pray for your children. Prayer matters. If you're concerned about one of your children, pray for them. If you have an issue or something on, pray for them. If all is good, pray for them. Pray for your children. Advocate. Advocate, by definition, is simply speaking up for someone who cannot speak up for themselves. And there are moments where you feel like that is true for your children. Advocate for your children to Jesus. Main point of today's sermon, leave a kingdom legacy for your children. And I pray that as we look at the gospel of John, I'm so grateful. This is probably my favorite book in the Bible. I'll say that probably about a lot of books, but right now, John's my favorite book of the Bible. But listen to me. John is where he is because of a faithful mama. No doubt in my mind. 
There was a faithful mama who walked with him, who encouraged him, who rebuked him, I'm sure, along with Jesus. I imagine he did many things that aren't written where she pulled him off to the side, you know, after Jesus was done teaching because he said something crazy or dumb or something and and had to have a conversation. Because remember, John, John was a teenager. He was the youngest. And so she was there to encourage and walk with him and advocate. And so parents never miss the important legacy of what it means to just walk with our kids, advocate for our children, and guide them and cheerlead them as they follow Jesus and leave a kingdom legacy. I pray one day, my kids aren't gonna write scripture. They're not gonna do any of those things. But I pray as a parent, more than my kids are healthy, more than they are successful, more than they are safe. I pray that I have kids who are willing to die like James did and willing to serve faithfully till they're in probably in their late 70s and 90s, potentially 90 AD, when it's understood that John died. I pray that I have children who faithfully serve Jesus in whatever capacity, vocational ministry, not vocational ministry, that's not the point, but just faithfully serve Jesus with their lives. I pray I can leave a legacy similar to Salome's, and I pray that for you too. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.